Well, now it's time for us to look into God's Word together. And this evening, I've selected two verses to form our text to launch us into a new brief series. Those two passages are Acts 20, verse 35, and also from the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1. First of all, in Acts 20, verse 35, the Apostle Paul said this, Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And then from 2 Corinthians 8, 1, We wish to make known to you the grace of God. I've entitled this first message of a very brief series, The Grace of Giving. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, in these coming moments, I pray that your Holy Spirit would use me to instruct your people so that we might grow in the grace of giving and draw closer to everything you intended us to be when you created us and called us out of the world and called us into your kingdom. And as always, we pray these things in total reliance upon the Holy Spirit, because apart from the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. And as always, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And as we study God's Word together today, may the Lord be with you. Winston Churchill, the great British leader, once said, We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Now, Churchill's words provide something of a muted echo of the Lord Jesus. And I say a muted echo because unlike Churchill, Jesus offers us more than wisdom to consider. Jesus offers the grace necessary to apply that wisdom. To have somebody tell you, we make a life by what we give is to receive some words of wisdom. But when Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive, and when he later through the Apostle Paul talked about the grace of giving, Jesus not only gave us directive, but Jesus gave us power. Today I want to begin a five-part series. And I want to focus in on the grace of giving. And I want to make it very clear from the very outset that I am not going to devote five teachings to the grace of giving because ACAC is facing some financial crisis. We are not. We are in a very good position financially. In over 125 years of existence, this church has never failed to pay its financial responsibilities on time, and the people of this congregation have never failed to provide everything needed for God's work. This does not come out of some financial need. It comes out of spiritual need. 
because something the Lord impressed upon me strongly. When I knew we were about to conclude our study of Acts and I would soon begin the study of the book of Ephesians, the Lord just impressed upon me this thought. You need to do a brief teaching on giving because many of my people are failing to experience my grace in all areas of life because they have failed to trust me in this area of life. And until they learn to trust me in this area of life, they will struggle with their marriages, they will struggle with their sexuality, they will struggle with their witness, they will struggle with their work, because if they can't trust me with the tangible, they cannot trust me with the intangible. And the Lord impressed upon me that he wants to set his people free. Free. You see, God wants to break our addiction to false security. And he wants to help us understand our identity and our destiny. And he wants to lead us into increased blessing and freedom and effectiveness. And believe it or not, all three of those things hinge upon the grace of giving. When we hear grace, we tend to first think of an attribute of God. We think of God's amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. We think of God's unmerited favor and blessing. But grace isn't primarily an attribute of God. Grace in the New Testament, almost every time it's used, is God's power operating in our specific abilities, in our specific behaviors and areas of ministry. Grace is God's power at work in our lives and in the specifics of our lives. And it might surprise you to learn that no chapter in the New Testament speaks more about grace and speaks more frequently about grace than one of the chapters we're going to be studying next week. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 speaks about grace more than any other chapter of the New Testament. And guess what the entire focus of 2 Corinthians grace is upon? Giving. The entire chapter focuses on giving, as does chapter 9 that follows it. And again and again and again we read the word grace. This gracious act. This gracious work of God. Now, grace is not only the power to do the will of God, but grace has another meaning. Grace also means that which brings joy and pleasure. The grace of God brings joy to your life. The grace of God brings real, enduring pleasure to your life. So when Paul used the word grace in relationship to our financial giving, it indicated that God gives us two types of grace. He gives us ability grace so that we can trust him to give not only according to our means, as we'll see next week, but even beyond our means. 
And then he gives us enjoyment grace so that we derive great satisfaction out of our giving and become a cheerful giver. You see, giving that pleases God is dependent upon grace from beginning to end. It begins in grace and it ends in grace. Now, as I said earlier, grace breaks our addiction to false identity and security and helps us discern our true identity. Now, let me expand on that. We were designed to be givers. In fact, I want you to say this statement with me. I want you to say aloud, I was designed to be a giver. I was designed to be a giver. Turn to somebody near to you and say, you were designed to be a giver. Now, why do I say that? We are created in the image of God. That means by creation and by design, we were intended to think like God thinks and to act like God acts. That's an awesome thought. And God, dear friend, I would remind you, is the most generous soul in the universe. He loves to give even when it costs him everything. The heart of the gospel is that well-known verse, the gospel according to John, Chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave. Gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. When we had nothing to offer God, He gave us everything just for the joy of restoring us. In the most selfless act of generosity the world has ever seen. God gave. Gave everything. Didn't withhold anything. That's why theologians refer to the introduction of sin into the world. We read about it in Genesis. They refer to it as the fall of man. Because in the aftermath of our ancient grandparents' sin, we have fallen far short of what we were intended to be, what we were designed to be, what we were created to be. The little child who doesn't have to be taught to zealously clutch a toy, defending it against all intruders, saying with all the vigor they can muster, Mine! is a picture of what we have become. Not of what we were intended to be, but what we have become. It's a snapshot of what sin has made us. The created impulse to give through sin, has been twisted into the addictive impulse to acquire, to protect, to control, 
and to hoard and to have more than somebody else. And it leaves us perpetually unsatisfied, like any addict, always hoping that the next hit will accomplish what none of the previous hits were ever able to accomplish. That the next pay raise will accomplish what no pay raise prior to it ever did. That the next financial increase will accomplish what no financial increase previously has done. That the next purchase will do what no other purchase has ever done for us. We need the power of grace to recover our identity and the joy that comes from living according to the way you were wired and the way you were created. That's why Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And by the way, when the Lord says, and we'll look at this verse later in, in the coming messages, that he loves a cheerful giver, know this, God always practices what he calls us to practice. Because even though he knew he would have to give the Lord Jesus on the cross, the prophet Isaiah says, and it pleased him to do it. Did it break his heart? Yes. But it pleased him to do it because of love. God was a cheerful giver. You see, we experience blessing when we live in harmony with our design. And we are never more fully human than when we give. If you want to recover the fullness of humanity as God intended it, then you've got to learn the grace of giving. Because you were designed to be a giver, not a hoarder, not a jealous person, not a covetous person, but a giver. Earlier I said Jesus offers us more than wisdom to consider. He offers the power necessary to apply that wisdom. Power has to be applied. And because of that, the grace of giving increases only one way in our lives. Not through study, though we're going to study. But ultimately, it increases through practice. Through practice. You see, all great growth in grace, excuse me, follows the same pattern. The Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, convicts us, makes us aware of some area in our life where we're falling short of God's intent for us. Once the Holy Spirit makes us aware, then the Holy Spirit calls us to step out in faith to step onto new ground, to step out of our previous comfort zone, to step out of our old habits and step into the better thing that God has designed us for and that God intends for us and to experience it. Then when we step out in faith and experience God's promised dynamic in our life, that increases our insight. And then the cycle starts. The Spirit makes us aware. 
Practice increases our awareness. Being more aware, we want to practice more. Being more aware, we want to practice more. And the two feed off one another. Awareness, practice. Awareness, practice. Awareness, practice. Until we develop righteous habits. And each time we step out in faith and trust God, it enables us to trust God more deeply the next time. That's why Hebrews 5.14 says, Train your senses, your spiritual understanding, through practice. You see, you could read a thousand books on giving and never grow in the grace of giving. Because you don't grow by acquiring information. You grow by acquiring information and then practicing it in application until it becomes wisdom and knowledge. Information without application is just information, but with application it becomes firsthand wisdom and knowledge. So we're to practice. And failure to apply, this is the flip side, leads to spiritual dullness. Remember last week in the closing study of the book of Acts, I talked about Paul's words to the Jewish religious leaders in Rome. And he quoted Isaiah and said to them, because God has spoken to you so many times and you've ignored him so many times, you've now come to the place where you'll see but not discern, hear but not understand, and never be healed. And we called that dynamic hardness of heart. Doesn't mean God isn't calling. It means you've so hardened yourself to God, you don't hear him anymore. That's what happens when you receive biblical information and you don't apply it. Then the biblical information becomes like a spiritual vaccination. Now, why do I use that analogy? When you get a vaccination, what do you get? You get just enough of a germ or a virus to give you some of the symptoms of the disease, but to build up your immunities so that you never get a full-blown onset of the disease. That's what a vaccination's all about, right? You get a flu vaccination, you're actually getting some of the flu virus. Just enough to make you miserable for a day and build up your immunities so you never get a full-blown onset of the flu. Now, when you just listen to the Word of God, but don't apply it, you vaccinate yourself with just enough of truth to build up immunities to make certain that you never get a full-blown case of what it is God wants you to get. And so sitting in a service like this and hearing truth but not applying it will make you spiritually dull. In contrast, if you will apply, it will enable you to discern between good and evil. And in the matter of giving, that means you can get to the place where you really understand. It's a conviction, not a motto where you really understand the best things in life aren't things. 
and you really believe it's more blessed to give than to receive. I mean, you believe it, and you practice it. And you really derive more joy from giving than you ever acquired from acquiring and hoarding and possessing and stockpiling. And you come to the place where your only regret is that you don't have more to give away. Rather than regretting that you don't have as much as your neighbor. You know, it's tough to keep up with the Joneses. Because just about the time you catch up to them, they refinance. <laughs> they get a bill consolidation loan and get some more stuff. And the whole cycle starts over again. By the way, did you know that that old expression started here on the north side of Pittsburgh? Because the Jones family of Jones and Lachlan Steele, who lived over near Community College in one of those mammoth mansions over there, were notorious for always upgrading and adding something to their mansion. And so the other millionaires over in that area... And by the way, during those days, there were more millionaires on the north side of Pittsburgh than in New York City. The other millionaires would add to their mansions trying to keep up with the Joneses. A little bit of local history. You won't be charged extra for that. <laughs> and when you practice, you also become mature as a giver. So that your giving isn't dependent upon emotional appeals. And your giving isn't the byproduct of bogus biblical teaching that is nothing more than the same old disease, materialism, disguised with Bible verses. What am I talking about? Christians who give because somebody has told them, if you give a hundred, God will give you a thousand are really now just trying to use the Almighty God to be better materialists. You talk about sick. The Bible teaches that if we give, God will supply our needs. What we fail to recognize is one of the greatest needs we have is to get free of our addiction to materialism and value the things of God more than toys. Why would God give you more money for toys when your biggest problem is you're trying to fulfill your life with toys rather than Him? And if you practice, then when the world comes to call with its temptations, as it always does, you'll respond to the materialistic advances of the world the same way you would respond to an AIDS-ridden prostitute. You feel bad for her, but you have no desire for what she offers because you know that she promises things that she cannot deliver and she delivers things that have no promise. And the appeals of a materialistic culture are just like the appeals of an aid-ridden prostitute. Promising what it will never deliver and delivering things that have no promise. Now, because 
these teachings will only be learned through practice. I recommended to our leadership, and they affirmed, that we would, during these five or six weeks, do a little practice project together. It's not a fundraising campaign. It's a faith-exercising campaign. Not to raise millions for new facilities because we made the decision long ago that's not what God has for us. But instead to raise a rather modest amount, $875,000, less than a million dollars, above our normal budget, to be divided between missions, community development, uh, staff expansion, facility expansion, and so on, and it's all in your bulletin. But what we're asking you to do as a part of this series, the series isn't for this purpose. This is an application of the series. is to listen over the next five or six weeks as we teach upon the grace of giving. And then at the end of those five or six weeks, so keep that brochure until then, we're going to ask you to prayerfully before the Lord. Nobody's ever going to talk to you. We don't want your name, none of that. Prayerfully before the Lord, Trust the Lord, ask the Lord to have the ability to trust Him for an increase over your regular giving over the next year. And then, anonymously, there's no place for your name on the card, just indicate that faith goal that you're setting for your increase over the next year. So, if you normally give $1,000 a year to ministry here at ACAC, and God says, trust me for an additional 200 you put the 200 on the card, all right? Because this is over and above. Now, I would never call you to do what I'm not willing to do myself. Last year, I doubled my giving. For this, I'm adding 30%. And our elders and deacons and governing board all agreed they would be the first to make their pledges, and we will announce their total next week. We will never call you to do what we're not willing to do ourselves. But again, this isn't a fundraising campaign. This is the chance to practice and really learn it. To have more than a notebook with notes, but to come out of this with a cheerful heart that knows how to trust God. And that's something else that the Lord impressed upon me. If the people don't practice it, then it just becomes vaccination, immunity, useless information. So again, nobody's going to call on you. Nobody's going to come to your house. Nobody's going to send you a letter. Totally anonymous, totally between you and the Lord. But you're never going to grow to trust Him until you put yourself where you've got to trust Him. Otherwise, I can tell you Bible stories till the cows come home. And it won't mean a hill of beans. And let's believe God that together, as we study 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and some other passages, that we'll become grace-powered givers. Because grace-powered givers disarm the power of money and discover God's power flowing through them. They reverse the curse. The curse, the fall of man, made us hoarders. God wants to reverse the course and make us givers. Souls that reflect the most generous soul in the universe. Again, just speaking from personal testimony, as Karen and I have sought to trust the Lord for giving more, 
I have never had such a deep sense of the joy of the Lord in my life in all areas. Because obedience in this area spills out to every other area. And I'm serious when I say some of the things you're struggling with that aren't financial, you may be struggling with them because you've never learned to trust God in the financial realm. So we want you to grow in the grace of giving and discover all the neat stuff that God will have for you. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, tonight we've laid a foundation. In weeks ahead, we trust you'll enable us to build upon that so that our people have a real biblical understanding of the grace of giving, not the duty, not the burden, not the guilt, but the grace of giving. And Lord, help us each one to know what your heart is ordering from our heart in this exercise, this project, where we're going to trust you to stretch us and grow us. And Father, I pray that we would come to the place where we would effectively reverse the curse and reflect the heart of the one who so loved the world that he gave. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Would you stand, please, to receive the benediction? Now as we launch into another work week of following the Lord Jesus in this broken world, may he give you the grace, the power working in you, the joy of obedience. May he give you the grace to trust him in all things and see his mighty hand at work in your life. God bless you. Have a great week serving the Lord.